Shall we begin? Why not? Welcome to Frankie Sense and More. It's like she's got a whole lot of goodness for you with a little bit of sass. Frankie, did you just say... She sure did. Not to mention, along with... Whoops. Join us now as Frankie Picasso and her new co-host mix it up with authors, musicians, and interviews with world-changing people. Let's begin. Okay, let's begin now, because it only makes sense. Hello there, and welcome to Frankie Sent Some More. I almost forgot what show I was doing today. Uh, I have a great show for you today. Two wonderful guests, three actually, because Brent's the end of the month, so Brent Marchand will be back on with us. He's the Good Radio Network's movie correspondent. Uh, but before we begin, I wanted to talk about the Climate Reality Project. They have a few more days to raise uh, $1 million. And I don't know if you've heard about it, but science does matter. And in the first 100 days of Trump sweeping in, he, he yeah, thank you, Karina. Um, he had these executive orders that in his infinite stupidity, he ordered his cabinet to start demolishing a wide array of Obama-era policies on global warming, including emissions, rules for power plants, limits on methane leaks, a moratorium on federal coal leasing, and the use of social cost of carbon to guide government actions. He wanted to unshackle the fossil fuel industry. Crazy as that sounds. We need to stand up for our planet. We need to give now. We have to. Uh, the Climate Reality Project is is former Vice President Al Gore's baby. He had started it. He's out campaigning for it. He actually had 193 countries all agree to rule back, to roll back on their pollution, to, to you know, uh, control any emissions that were going on. And here we have Trump coming in and being a crazy person, uh, going, what? It's cold. There's no global warming. It's cold. I mean, you must have seen that. It's crazy. So we all need to fight. We need to fight for our planet. And in order to do so, maybe you can give a little bit of money. Go to the uh, climaterealityproject.com and do what you can. The, we have another couple of days, actually, till, till their campaign ends. So please fight for our planet. Well, our guest today, Cindy Pierce, she is the owner of Crystal Rainbows. It is a magical place where she offers her services as a psychic healer, Reiki Shambhala practitioner and teacher. Cindy's creative and she loves to work with items that she's found in nature. And she creates these beautiful pieces of jewelry and artwork and things that you can put around her house. But I have to tell you, I've known her for a long time and life hasn't always been easy for her. She has suffered with mental illness. She overcame anxiety, panic attacks, agoraphobia. She was once a prisoner in her own home, and her world was very small because of her fear. Today, though, her world has expanded, and she is able to live a happy, outbound life. So I want to talk to her about that and how she overcame that and and where it all started. Cindy, welcome. Thank you. Nice to have you here, finally. Yeah, (laughs) thanks so much. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a long time. You know, when I first met you... um, I said, come on over, and you're like, mm, yeah, I can't. <laughs> like, why not? And I knew you had a car in your driveway, but you were afraid to drive. You were afraid to leave your home, basically. So where did yes. all, all this start? And congratulations on overcoming it, by the way. Just Thank amazing. you. Yeah, it uh, started when I was about age 14. Um, couldn't leave my home. Couldn't drive to places where, you know, all the teenagers are supposed to go. House parties and concerts and all those fun things. And uh, at about the age of 19, it uh, overtook my life. 
uh, to the point where the panic attacks were so severe. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't walk out my front door. Oh, my goodness. It takes me back. Really takes me back. I'm uh, almost 50. I can't believe I just said that on air. (laughs) So it's been a very long, long time of, um, I don't like the word struggle, but it definitely uh, was a struggle and just trying to stay positive and focus on all the accomplishments that I had made, you know, um, learning just to open your front door and step out onto your porch or your patio was uh, more difficult than the average person would ever, ever realize. So what happened when you thought of, I mean, your head probably went to, oh, I want to go visit my grandma. I want to go here. I want to go there. And then your hand went to the doorknob and it was like, what would happen? Just sheer panic. It, uh, yeah. The anxiety would just take over the whole body. Uh, you couldn't breathe or I couldn't breathe. I would start to shake. I would sweat. I uh, I never did pass out, have a, a fainting spell, but it was to that point where, where I felt that I was going to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just one baby step at a time. And I didn't realize it then, but it was just a lot of built-up um, trauma from mm-hmm. my past and um so what Just was enough? When things. was enough enough for you? When did you go, okay, I'm done. This is so stupid. I can't stand this anymore. My world has become so small. I want to go and be normal. I want to go out there and, and drive out there and do all these wonderful things that, you know, make my life my life. When What was the last straw for you as far as yeah, staying Yeah, the home? word normal life. Yeah, yeah. I thought about that often. Boy, I would love to just have a normal life, whatever that may have been. Yeah. I was probably about 26. And that's when I started to, to reach out for help and went to my doctors and he explained to me what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just different support groups and things like that. But it actually didn't end there. It got even worse. And then... Um, Did he ever medicate you or give you pharmaceuticals? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I did try one, which I won't name. And right. it just put me in a, into a total tailspin. It was awful. Um, I hallucinated. I, oh, my anxiety was like even worse than it was being off of them. So I turned to natural, um, natural products Mm -hmm. and did a lot of life coaching and emotional freedom technique. And I would say I was probably about the age of 32 before my life really started to change. You, um, I mean, you were doing all of this stuff, you know, you had a real connection to the other side. Like, did you ask, yes. did you ask, you know, what, what's going on here? Why am I like this? Yep. I, uh, I was to a point, I wouldn't say I was suicidal, but I was definitely done. I was yeah. totally broken. I was just finished and I was in a very bad relationship and that just kind of piled on top of everything that was going on. And I remember laying on the couch because I was paralyzed. I mm-hmm. could not get up to use the washroom. I couldn't get up to eat because the anxiety and panic were so bad. It just completely controlled my whole body. And I remember asking the angels, guides, God, Buddha, um, that I needed help. I just I couldn't live like this anymore. And I remember seeing the angel over my shoulder. Mm-hmm. And just felt this total warmth and connection and peace and calm. And, and I knew that I had someone other than friends and family to, to support me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, that, was, that was my first big connection, I would say. It just was kind of my turning point of 
believing that there was something or someone else out there. Um, but did they ever give you an answer, like why you? Why did you have to suffer with this? Or um, I had lessons to learn so that I was also able to help other people. Did you feel like any of this had ever come in from another lifetime? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of the things that I believe in now in this lifetime, mm-hmm. I had also believed in in past lifetimes. And I was always punished. I was usually... Um, I don't like this word because it's so strong, but I was killed for my beliefs and, and my right. outlook on uh, spirituality. And that so makes sense. I had been, yeah, but it just, it took a long time. But I believe that all of my experiences in my life have made me so much more kinder and compassionate. And it's not things that you can learn in a textbook in order right. to spread the word or to, or to help people with mental illness. Again, I use that word very lightly. Yeah, I prefer to call it mental wellness, but um, yeah, and we all have our stuff, also, right? Everybody we all has have something. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, but you know, I think that you know you're extraordinarily sensitive, and yeah, so I very. think that people who are sensitive um, feel it more. Obviously, they feel it more because they're more sensitive, but you know, it affects them more deeply. Yeah. In that, in well, that, you know, all of the challenges that, was, that come with that. Yeah, and that was part of the whole. Um, healing process too was you know once I started taking those baby steps so you know one step away from my house and then come back and then three steps away from the house and then come back and all that and then once I got up to the point of where I was going out to stores and to restaurants and to malls I was like being thrown everybody else's energy at me and I was like whoa Mm -hmm. because I had been a prisoner for so long in my own home Mm -hmm. that I didn't have to deal with all the outside influences yeah going into these places oh it was just and again, talk about voices. Oh, I was going to say, and when you think you're having panic attacks and things, you, you really feel like you're losing your mind. Like you yeah. really do. You feel like, what the heck? So then once you start walking in, out into the, into the world and you're feeling all these other people's things and you're thinking, oh my, is this my mind racing and going crazy again? Or is it actually picking up in other people's things? Yeah. And, well, you know, yeah. As, as a Reiki master and, you know, uh, as a teacher, like, you know, that when you are, doing any kind of um, holistic healing, you often pick up from, from your clients, the things that they're yeah. feeling or thinking. And, and, you know, if you weren't sensitive to that, then maybe you wouldn't be so good at it. Yes. But you also have to learn how to turn it off mm-hmm. because you don't want to be feeling this 24 seven because it just, it's just too much. And being empathic can be very overwhelming emotionally, physically, spiritually. It's like, you don't want to feel everybody else's pain and suffering and, you know, that so-and-so just had a fight with their husband or, you know, so, so-and-so just found out that their, you know, their mother has cancer. It's like, I don't want to know this stuff. I don't need to know this stuff because mm-hmm. it affected me. And I would leave the stores or the mall usually crying because it was so strong. Yeah. So for there, there are a number of people out there that, you know, are like you in that they are affected by other people's feelings and emotions, um, empath, you know, so how, how would, what would you say? We're going to go to a commercial break in two minutes and a little bit less, I think. Um, but what would you say to them in order to turn that off? Like, how do you turn it off when you're out? Oh, in public? definitely ground yourself. So mm-hmm. being in nature, actually digging a hole and planting your feet in sand or, or dirt or something, mm-hmm. uh, putting a protective bubble around you, um, burning sweet grass and sage and doing, you know, whatever type of prayer or mantra, that works for you just to, to clear and block and, and to release everybody else's energy. Um, but I would say the top one definitely would be um, 
putting yourself in a bubble mm-hmm. and wearing certain crystals to ward off. And it's not that these that these people are bad people. No, it's just everyone has their their emotions and their stuff. Their megaphone is going out. They got a big aura and it's out there touching yeah. everybody. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you can just keep yours over there, okay? Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, we're going to go to commercial break. We're going to talk more to Cindy, but when we come back, we're going to talk to Sean Barry Farrell. He's our other guest today who, who also has a connection to the other side. And don't go away. You aren't going to want to miss a thing today. We'll be right back. No, we're just getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more will be right back after we pay the bills. LinkedIn, it's a great tool and a great way to do business in today's social media-driven world. And Carol McManus is the LinkedIn lady with the LinkedIn Lady Show, Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern on allbusinessradionetwork.com. The LinkedIn Lady Show is designed to inform, inspire, and educate businesses. Every social media site has a specific demographic, personality, and purpose. And the LinkedIn Lady will interview a variety of guests, such as business owners who can showcase their business and talk about how they use social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google+, Pinterest, and of course, LinkedIn. For more on Carol and the show, check out her website, LinkedInLady.com. As trends change and new applications become available, the LinkedIn Lady Show will bring that information to you in an easy-to-use, fun, and engaging way. Every Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern, it's the LinkedIn Lady Show with Carol McManus on AllBusinessRadioNetwork.com. This is the Toginet Radio Network, broadcasting quality programming to the world. It's words you never heard. Which U.S. state would you guess has the fastest talkers? Recent research by analytics company MarchX revealed that the nation's fastest talkers come from Oregon, Minnesota, Massachusetts, Kansas, and Iowa. What about New York, you ask? New York ranked near the bottom at 38, but New Yorkers do use more words. A New Yorker will use 62% more words than someone from Iowa who have the same basic conversation. What's another word for fast-talking? Tachylaya. America's slow-spoken or tardiloquent talkers were from North Carolina, Alabama, South Carolina, Louisiana, and Mississippi. What's a word for someone who likes to say the same thing over and over? A batologist. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. And we're back. It's Frankie Sense and More Day, and I am so glad that you guys are with me. Thanks for joining each and every week. Our guest, my next guest is Sean Barry Farewell. He is a spiritual motivator, children's author, children's sports coach, and he has been working with cancer patients for 22 years to help them motivate themselves and move forward in life. Why? Well, he is a man who died from his non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and came back to tell and share his incredible story. And he will be doing that in his new autobiography, Fallen from the Light. In 1993, Sean was diagnosed with his cancer. And after eight months of treatment and exhausting efforts, the doctors at the hospital stopped his treatment. And we're going to find out what happened next. Welcome, Sean. Hey, how are you? Good. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here. Wow. Well, it's 2017 and you're still alive. (laughs) Well, I I tell people I'm still sharing oxygen with the world. So that's a good thing. It is a good thing. Congratulations. Yeah, we're happy that you're here. 
So you you look to. to be in great health. Um, you're sharing all kinds of things on Facebook, cleanses, and you, you work out and you look healthy. So you were near death. You had spots on your lungs. You were like gone. I was in bad shape. Let's just put it that way. And if anybody who knows biology and familiar with lymphoma, um, it's not a really good cancer to have because it's very fast spreading through the body. Uh, the cells multiply. Uh, it's hard to keep up to it. And like wildfire, it will spread so quickly. Then there's at this point, um, they can't do anything for you. Mm-hmm. So you were diagnosed at Christmas. Yes. And, um, and by September, you were ready to, you said to God, you know, take me now kind of thing. Well, Christmas time is when I got the news that I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I remember the doctor actually called me. He wanted me to come down. I said, no, just tell me over the phone. Mm-hmm. And he Not a diagnosis said, they want to give you on the phone. Yeah, I know. He said oh, that too. But, but I was just sort of like, look, just tell me what it is. And he said, well, you have cancer. And I'm, I'm, I froze. I'm like, what? And then he said, well, it's a good cancer. And I just thought... There's no good cancer. Yeah. He said, well, you were, no. You were like 30 years old, right? Well, I was 29, 29. going to be 30 wow. in March, mm-hmm. and I was engaged to be married. I was preparing my life. Right. And you, it, this is like a slap in the face. Like, you can't do this to me. I'm, I just found love, and I'm, I'm going to get married. I'm going to get the house, the kids, the, the dog, the white picket fence. The life. Fence. I was promised, yeah. Right. It, but it, it's not going to be in the cards. So what did you do? Did you go through all those stages of, you know, not why me? And Well, you go through that in the beginning because you you get angry at first. That's one of the first things that come in. Mm-hmm. You forget about fear. You just get angry at the world. And then you, you come to realize that you have to make a choice. I could try to fight this or just give up. And I decided because of my whole life, and this is why I wrote my book from the time I was born up to now, Every year of my life, I was always knocked to the ground, but I've always found a way to pick myself up. So I just looked at cancer as another challenge in life, and I just figured that if um, if I have a chance of beating this, I have to fight. And I just put everything into trying to, to tackle this, but it I was up against incredible odds. Mm-hmm. So by September, it had spread. And your chemo wasn't working any longer? No, they they put me through – they they first put you through outpatient chemotherapy. It's a protocol that they they give most people. And I was scheduled to go through eight sessions. You go once every three weeks. And it's Mm -hmm. it's a brutal process because your body is is basically being killed. And they're hoping by doing this to destroy the cancer cells. But again, with lymphoma, they can produce so quickly – but the eighth treatment, they stopped and he suggested aggressive chemotherapy, which now is going to be two sets of treatments where you have to spend a week in the hospital, get it five times a, um, through the week. So it's one time each day. Wow. And this is the stronger stuff. And they're hoping that it starts to work because the next phase would be a bone marrow transplant, but only mm-hmm. if the tumor in my lung starts to shrink. And the tumor in my lung was about seven centimeters wide. It was a mass. Wow. It was huge. And I had it in my neck. There were spotty marks on my bone. So the lymphoma was spreading. Mm-hmm. And where was your head? 
in the sand. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, good answer. But right. you, you know, the thing is that the doctors didn't understand one thing about me. They really didn't know me, and I wasn't going to let anything stop me. At the time, I remember before I got diagnosed, I signed up the four winter hockey teams. Hockey was a passion of mine. I love playing hockey, and I wasn't going to waste the money and the time and give up my hockey. They said you you. It's impossible. You'll never be able to play on chemotherapy because mm-hmm. you're too weak. I was playing ice hockey four nights a week on chemo. And to me, that was my escape from cancer. And I was about 50% strength-wise on the ice. I was still better than most of the guys. But to me, um, that was my way of trying to battle the cancer is just – as, as I can further myself away from it and do things with the mind. I, I, have, to, um, I have to stop you there for one second because it was really the universe ir- irony that you got yes. non-Hodgkins because mm. it's, it's NHL. Y- yes, actually, you look at it like that, <laughs> you know, um, but it was a different type of contract they gave me. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, it was uh, the universal contract and, and that's where everything will change in my life. And this is why I'm sitting here right now having this conversation with you because I was told to go home. There was nothing left now that they can do. I almost died twice in the hospital from the treatments. And after all that, the tumor in my lung wasn't shrinking. And they said, sorry, Sean, we we can't give you any more treatment because it eventually will kill you. I can't have the bone marrow transplant. So at this point, there's nothing left they can do. So I went home to pretty much prepare my end. It's interesting, though, to to note that Non-Hodgkin's usually affects men over 50, and you were very young. You know, uh, it's, it's changed now. A lot of women are being diagnosed with lymphoma also um, because of the lymphatic system in our body. And, and if a lot of people are not familiar with lymphoma, it's uh, your lymph nodes in your body. This is your immune system. Mm-hmm. And there's there's two different ones. There's the B cell and the T cell. And the B cell is easier to handle, but the T cell is harder to deal with because there's a thymus gland and that projects your T cells, which is your cancer fighters. So in a sense, my cancer fighters were infected, mm-hmm. uh, makes it more difficult to try and get it under control. And at this point, um, there's nothing left. I mean, and there's been a lot of there's there was a movie out there recently of this guy who played um, in the uh, the TV series. Um, Spartacus. Yes. And after season one, he was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And same thing happened to him. But unfortunately, uh, his finally overtook him. So this is how fast lymphoma can spread through the body. Yeah. So you're sent home. Sent home. uh, I had to cancel the wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, my family threw me a party. It was like a, a goodbye party and kind of ironic. If you look at my last name, farewell, I actually had yeah. a farewell party. Everybody threw me, yeah. it was, you know, farewell. and it was farewell. See you. Goodbye. And it was sad because everybody's saying goodbye to me because my life is coming to an end. And this is right. this. And this is scientifically and medically, by the way, I want people to understand something here that this is science. And if you look it up, every doctor that sees me, they shake their head and they say, it's impossible that you should be alive. Yes. And it, and it is. Yeah. So was the fiance still around? She stick by you? She was going to live with me until I died. Okay. And I went home and I was stage three at that point. Stage four is the final part of the cancer. And I was very close to getting into stage four. And I was going to spend probably, if I was lucky, three months of life left with her before I died. Mm-hmm. What were you doing for a job before? <clears throat> Oh, uh, I worked for a security company and 
uh, and at that point, because being diagnosed with cancer, um, that was really difficult. This is in my story too. See what people don't understand too. I wasn't just struggling with my cancer. I was struggling financially. I, I almost got to the point where I was homeless um, because of issues with the insurance company. Uh, I just, yeah. we were struggling and, and the medication at that time, it was so expensive. I really feel for people out there that are going through any form of medical issues and they don't have the money to get through it. Yeah. It is horrible. Yeah. Insurance companies are brutal, brutal. You're just a number for them. Yeah, I know. I've been there. So, okay, let's get to the let's get to the juicy part. The, the juicy part. part. The good part. Yeah, we've got three minutes to break. All right. Um, the fastest three minutes of my life. Um, <laughs> it kind of was, actually. You know, what happened was the only thing I can explain to people at this point, and, and when people read my book, and, and we're going to put it into a movie because people need to see this part. Um. I remember sleeping in bed and hearing this beautiful, beautiful voice, which I've heard my whole life. And I knew it was my guardian angel calling me. And there were three lights pulsating. Energy was just incredible. And I thought maybe I was dreaming, but I realized my body finally expired and I was floating away. And the love and the energy was beautiful. And the light spoke to the consciousness. And they just basically told me everything was going to be all right. And I thought that was strange because here's my body full of cancer. How is everything supposed to be okay? And it told me that I have to come back and finish my purpose. And then eventually it severed me from the light. And thus I fell from the light. And that's why my book is called Fallen from the Light. And the strangest thing after that whole experience, two weeks later, I was back in the hospital and the cancer throughout my body was now dead, which is medically impossible. Wow. Now, didn't you say that you had one night a little bit later after that event where you had like felt like a heart attack or it felt like? I, um, after that, having that experience two uh, about a week after I woke up in the middle of the night with this massive pain in my chest, it's part of my book. And I, and I, and I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. I was suffocating. I thought the lights were coming back, you know, after that beautiful moment I had a week mm -hmm. earlier, I'm thinking like, Oh, thanks guys. Now you're putting me through all this, this pain and, and, and suffering right here. And for about 30, 40 seconds, it felt like my entire chest area was being crushed but I truly believe it was God putting his hand inside my chest and killing the tumor on my lung because it made perfect sense. Because sure. when, they cracked, when they cracked my chest open on an operating table, a lot of people don't know this. I spent six hours on a table with my chest opened up. The whole mass of cancer was dead, but it turned into groups of cysts, and they've never seen anything like this. And they said they I probably – yeah, they well, they they can only get so much out of me because of where it's positioned. But about a year later, when I had a CAT scan done, the rest of that tissue just kind of disappeared on its own, which again is unexplainable. My whole story is unexplainable, but this what? is why. Perfect time this, then to go to a commercial break. Don't go anywhere. We're coming back with Cindy and Sean, and Brent's coming too. Getting warmed up. Frankie Sense and more. We'll be right back after we pay the bills. Man cannot live by bread alone. He must have his peanut butter. Peanut butter is a pate of childhood, and it's not just for kids as dogs love it too. Last night I gave my dog a pill hidden in peanut butter. What's a word for a messy concoction that helps the medicine go down? Sliver sauce. 
Mice apparently prefer peanut butter to cheese when it comes to luring them into the trap. But there are even more practical uses for peanut butter. Peanut butter contains natural oils, which makes it perfect for removing all kinds of sticky things, like gum stuck in your shoe or in your hair. What's a word for the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth? Arachnophobia. And according to Barry Goldwater, if you don't mind smelling like peanut butter for two or three days, peanut butter is a darn good shaving cream. It's marching day. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. The American Cancer Society tells us that over 49,000 Americans will die from colorectal cancer this year. Colorectal cancer is the third most common cancer found in men and women in the U.S. Overall, the lifetime risk of developing colorectal cancer is about 1 in 20. One of the culprits is red meat. Prevention Magazine reports that red and processed meats can be harmful because of the carcinogens that can form when meat is grilled, smoked, or cured, or when preservatives such as nitrates are added. Having small servings of pork, beef, or lamb now and then is no big deal, but consuming more than 18 ounces of red meat per week increases your risk. Exercise and diet are important parts in the prevention of colorectal cancer. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Well, isn't life absolutely strange and amazing and wonderful and incredible? It really is. Cindy and Sean have, you know, these crazy life stories and here we are all, you know, here today talking about it. And if you are listening and you have struggled with cancer or you struggled with agoraphobia or fear and anxiety, whatever your troubles are, just know that it is possible. It's always possible to overcome and uh, be where they are today, sitting in, in the chair talking to me. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, you can even talk to me on air. I'll be happy to do it. There you go. Yeah. You know, I know that, that, you know, Cindy is a healer, Sean as a motivational, uh, spiritual motivator. In, in a way, everybody, we're, we're doing the same, you know, it's light work. It's, it's exactly the same, you know, everybody's doing the same thing. We're just coming at it in a different way. Cause, cause, you know, Cindy, you love nature and the animals and, and you want to heal people in that, in that way, Sean, you're, you know, you're looking towards the, uh, the cancer patients and the, and the people who are losing hope. It, every every part of the universe needs to be touched. You know, it's funny you say that because when I talk to people about the universe is that the universe is trying to communicate with every soul on this world. Mm-hmm. And what it does is for the ones that do wake up like ourselves with our stories, we're supposed to share these with other people. So in a sense, we're not the teachers, we're the learners. The universe is the teacher. It teaches us and our experiences are shared with others. And this is how we learn. We are the learners and we're going to keep passing on our experiences so other souls start to wake up and they'll do the same. It's just sometimes we have to go through a lot of this hardship and in a sense it humbles ourselves 
which then we can understand and feel for others who are going through this and we can oh, 100% we can, and yeah. we can guide and we can guide them and Cindy does the same thing too and uh and uh, there's light workers out there right now and they're probably listening to this right now and they're probably shaking their head yes this is how it works you are going to get touched you're going to get awoken and then you're going to share it sharing is caring and this is what I do every day I love inspiring people like just showing people you know when people have heard my story when I share like the whole thing, they, their mouths just drop open. They're like, how are you so positive and motivated and, and so inspirational with everything that you've been through? And like you have two choices. You either move forward and be positive and heal and release everything, all the negative thoughts, the patterns, everything from your past mm-hmm. and move forward and be positive and just take one step at a time, just one step in front of the other. You just keep going and, um, you know, I never thought I would ever have my license or ever go back to school or, you know, I thought I was just going to be that person sitting on my couch looking out the window at life go by. Yeah. Wow. That, that's just crazy. It, it's amazing. And I'm so, so happy for you. I really am that you were able to overcome it. You know, I on Tuesday on Mission Unstoppable, my show, I had um, Dr. Schaub and he, he's a fear and anxiety expert. And we... In his book, he talks about, because I talk about it in the same thing in my book, about the socialization process. And as children, we, we release emotion. We are not afraid. Like, whatever we're feeling or doing, you know, you cry, you laugh, you scream and shout, you, whatever it is, kids can release it. But we're taught not to release that. And the, and the, and the, the, the more we're taught not to release that emotion, the, the, you know, the more disease builds up inside of us, right? And so, yeah. Sean, you're at a job you know, you weren't happy or, or thing, the insurance company was making you crazy. And, and for me, when I, I was in a hospital for six months, the insurance company was killing me. Like they were killing me, you know? And, and I understand that so well, how all of that dis-ease does not help when you are trying to, to help yourself. Well, Cindy would probably agree. There's, there's a balance in the universe between a darkness and a light, and there's a constant battle that goes on. Mm-hmm. And we do tend to fall into that darkness, and that's all the negativity that happens in our lives. And we f- try to d- crawl our way out of that darkness back into the light. But it's really difficult when you're put into those situations with insurance companies, even with people. Um, and it's just and, – and again, being an empath and you're feeling all this stuff, it's like you got the weight of the world on you and then you say to yourself it's probably easier just to give up but a lot of us and i truly believe this in our dna it's not there we want to keep surviving there's a reason telling us this is not our time we got to get up we got to keep moving and don't look back and easier said than done but when but you you know know, yeah no, I was just going to say that a friend of mine posted on Facebook today. She goes, you know, I had a plan. I had a plan for my life and it all fell apart. And she's a very spiritual person. And I look and I thought about it and I, like your situation and Cindy's situation, my situation. I thought, you know what? The universe will stop you in its tracks when it wants exactly. to use you. It exactly. stops you so that you, you know, it, it takes your legs out from under you. And usually it's a crisis or a tragedy. And it makes you stop and think and get rid of whatever it was, that, the trajectory that you were on so it can – bring you back to its trajectory and say, no, this is well, what we're going to do now. It tests make, you make, also. Yeah. There's a lot, of, a lot a, of tests and, and things to, to, to learn by each and every person that you meet on, on every day of your life too. And you can make a choice to have that darkness 
for those light workers in your life. And I definitely choose to have more positive, you know, empathic light worker peoples in my life. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You see, I don't listen to news, you know, no, well, it's pulling yourself away from the negativity. Like what I tell people is back in 2011, some incredible things started happening around me. And that was the universe getting me ready for a new journey. I had no idea what was coming. I thought I was ready in 2011 with my book. I was going to get and start speaking everything. No, you work on the universe's time. And the universe mm-hmm. had to take me on a different journey. And for, for five years, it was a dark journey where um, I found myself having my heart broken twice. Uh, I almost died in the hospital last year from a pneumothorax. And if people don't know, know what that is, that is air that gets trapped in your back of your lung. And it could collapse on my heart and kill me instantly. I almost became homeless. And these were the challenges that I was going through for five years. Now, 2017 came around everything is turned around because the universe is saying, now you're ready. Now it's time to get it out. So the universe is going to tell you when it's ready. And in Cindy's case, Cindy had to go through that darkness, but now she's shining with the light. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, and this happens to all of us. So people who are listening, you could be going through this. Just remember, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And Cindy was always... You know, even in her darkness, she was always fighting light for light because she was giving that love to the people who would come to her. She couldn't go to them, but they came to her. She attracted them to her with her energy, um, but she just couldn't leave. No, and they. And the thing is, I tell people, darkness truly tries to stop you from doing mm-hmm. the light work. They yeah. know Cindy's strong. Her soul is strong. Cindy wants to get out there and make a difference in people's lives. But darkness is going, no, I'm going to stop her. I'm going to stop her. So Cindy's got to battle this while at the same time she's trying to help other light workers. Mm-hmm. But you know what? She's accomplishing her goals because now she's getting stronger and stronger. And she realizes that her power is strong enough to do this. But she had to learn some hard lessons like we all do, and then we uh, we just grow from that. Absolutely. That's why you have to sing that song, This Little Light of Mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let it shine, this little light of mine. There you go. There you go. That's an anthem. <laughs> If, you're, if, if, you're, if your other profession doesn't work for you, you can always get into karaoke singing. There you go. There you, go. <laughs> you know what? Laughter is the best medicine. It's and, awesome. you know, when people um, are struggling with something, really, honestly, go and watch, you know, a comedy. Comedies. Or, comedies. Or, or comedies. And because um, laughter really will bring you far. It really will. It, you got to change you. that mood. You got to change that, you know, yep. that thought. You know, it, it's true because when you really you're releasing all those endorphins in your body and you just feel so great afterwards. And it's such a natural high that I, I recommend people all the time to to check out comedies when you're feeling down because they will it will pick your spirits up. You know, I, I became a laughter yoga leader. Um, oh, I don't know, gosh, 10 years ago or something. And I don't practice it now. But the funny thing was, I mean, it was hilarious doing it, but y- they fake laugh. They fake laugh and that fake laugh becomes a real laugh. And you, and it's a deep belly laugh and it's crazy. Um, but like you can't even stop it. It becomes hilarity. And just try it. If you're feeling really bad, just start it's fake good. laughing and it's contagious, right? Well, it's like and videos you- that you see online too. Yeah. Um, I saw, I forget where the it came from, one? but it's, I don't know. It was just people laughing like out in the middle of the street and they would yeah. just be laughing by themselves. And then other people would start laughing. And then other people, oh, it was on a bus. 
And okay. it's, you're changing that whole vibration, right? And people yeah. just, it's a, you can't change it. It's like, you know, someone's laughing and you're looking at them going, oh my God, I wonder what's so funny. And then you just start laughing because it's, yeah, cause it's, it's funny. just that contagious you know, I was yeah, gonna say yeah. that it's contagious. It's like remember in school, you're sitting in class and you're you're trying to hold the laughter out because the teacher's saying something yeah. and you think it's yeah. funny, and then someone <laughs> behind you starting to do it, and then the person behind you starts to do it, and eventually the teacher's like, "What's so funny?" and everybody starts laughing. The whole class. And nobody is laughing, knows what's so. funny. <laughs> no, they don't. They're just laughing for some from some strange reasons. That's so yeah. true. Yeah, that's hilarious. Well, you know, it works. And and if you can change your energy um, to something positive, it's that's great. I mean, you're winning, right? You're always winning when you're when you're positive. So yeah. it's a wonderful you're, thing to do. You're always going to face those elements. But in the end, your soul knows what it really wants. And it will pull itself up. And it will put itself in a place where people are positive and they talk positive they are avoiding all forms of negativity but it's just that even the people that are negative they have to also learn and they're learning too and in time they'll find their way to that light but for now what we can do is share our experiences with others and that's why what we're doing but you know not everybody's going to be cured magically instantly like you were no no no, and, I'm, I, I mean, in my case, and I tell people, it was the divine. It was an intervention. Right. And the reason why is because I have to finish my purpose. And right. that's it. And I'm not afraid when my time comes because I know where I'm going. I know that there's life that continues after this world. And that makes things even better for me because it gives me a better vision of what this world and you were talking earlier about our our earth and yes mm-hmm. we are the caretakers we were given the responsibility to take care of this planet and the message is clear save the children and the animals they are the future of this world and we have to start doing it so the message has to get out and you're right frankie you know last week i was um driving down my street and i'm looking at at everyone's garbage and I'm like, where, where's everybody's green boxes that we have? And the green boxes here where I live is all, you know, composting your food. And you put it out to the curb and the city come, comes by and get it. There's only two of us on the street that had them, me being included. So I put it out there to the energy, the universe, to God, to Buddha. And I said, we need more green boxes. Mm-hmm. Well, just this week, I was driving down the road or down my street and three more people have green boxes. Yay. I'm like, yes. <laughs> We're going to a commercial. What a great way to go to a commercial. <laughs> Frankie Saints and more will be right back after we pay the bills. It's Merging We've known for a long time that diamonds are precious or worth a lot of due to rumors. That means money. Did you ever wonder how a polished pebble becomes one of the most expensive things on earth? Two centuries ago, diamonds were worn only by royalty. But in 1870, miners discovered huge deposits of diamonds in South Africa. And soon after, the diamond market was flooded. That's when a man named Cecil Rhodes started buying up shares of the diamond mines. Eighteen years later, Rhodes controlled the entire South African supply of diamonds. He started his own newspaper and magazine articles with clever ad campaigns about cut, clarity, color, and carrot. He also convinced women that they weren't truly engaged to be married without a diamond ring. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. 
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Salads are a great choice for lunch or dinner, but you need to be careful. What you choose to put in your salad can make all the difference of whether it's a low-calorie, healthy meal or a high-fat, high-sugar, unhealthy meal. Harvard Medical School offers four steps in building a healthy, low-calorie salad. Step one is to build a vegetable base. Pack your plate with leafy greens, raw, or grilled vegetables. Step two is to add some protein. Chopped eggs, grilled chicken, low-fat cottage cheese, or a few scoops of beans are always great choices. Step three is to add a small amount of healthy fat. To give you the feeling of fullness, sprinkle on nuts and seeds. And step four is add whole grains and fruit. Top off your salad with sliced strawberries, grapes, and barley. Choose a light dressing and ask for it on the side. Dip your fork into the dressing first, then into the salad. I'm Annette Hammond. Well, it must be the end of the month because the Good Radio Network movie correspondent Brent Marshaw is here. Welcome, Brent. Hi, Frankie. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Wow. So what movies do you have for us this week? I just well, love I got, I got three. I got three for you today, and they all feature strong female characters. Okay. Uh, the first one is uh, The Zookeeper's Wife, mm-hmm. which tells the fact-based story about a couple that owned the Warsaw Zoo at the start of World War II, and uh, their facility was pretty much bombed out of existence. But they were um, they had some of their facilities still intact, and they were so appalled at the way the uh, Polish Jews were being treated that they decided to use what facilities they had left to conceal people to keep them from being taken to the camps. Yeah, because Poland was the worst. They yeah. they annihilated every Jew they could. And it was uh, really quite risky for them because one of their uh, the one the um, commanding officer who was in charge of the area was also a zoologist like they were, and he had sort of become a a friend of theirs before the war started, and now they were having to do everything they could to try and deceive him to say, you know, we're pulling off this plot underneath your eyes here. Mm -hmm. So, um... I thought it was a fan. Jessica Chastain was was the lead, and she was amazing. She was terrific. And this is, like, one of the best roles I've seen her give. Yeah. uh, uh, Really a very moving performance and a very inspiring film. Beautifully photographed also, particularly a lot of the uh, the footage of the animals in the zoo is just terrific. Oh, so. It was so good. You know, my husband loves to go to, go to um, World War II movies. And I'm, me, I'm like, I'm just so tired of Nazis and up to here with it. But I'm glad I went because it was a fantastic movie. Well, the other thing that I, that I liked about it too is that it, it, there have been so many films done about the Holocaust. And hmm. It's it's kind of gotten to the point now where if you run, if you want to do a movie about that, you almost have to look for a different angle to cover yep. it that hasn't already been done before. And this one definitely does that. So in, in many ways, it's almost like uh, it's like the it's like Schindler's List with animals. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <ways. laughs> yeah, yeah. It was kind of sad about the animals, but it was a really really good movie. You have to go see it. Uh, my second movie today is called Gifted which tells the story of a brilliant young child who is a mathematical whiz who gets caught up uh, in an unexpected custody battle between her uncle and her grandmother. Um, Having been um, orphaned by her mother's suicide, uh, she was taken in by her uncle, but he doesn't have official custody of her. And having seen what happened to her mother, his sister, um, 
you know, she she was uh, carted around from like special school to special school, never really had a chance to be a kid. And he was hell-bent on making sure that his niece didn't suffer the same fate. However, um, her grandmother, uh, the uncle's um, mother, Mom. believes that, um, no, she's going to be, you know, wasting her potential as she's brought up like in a regular school and goes with normal kids and things like that. So she sues to get custody so that she can basically try and put her granddaughter through the same path that she put her own daughter through. And, um, you know, she's caught in the middle in all of this. Like the, uh, the grandmother was a mathematician. Her daughter was a mathematician, but her daughter was very close to discovering Yes, Some, breaking through a, a, a major a major equation breakthrough. Yeah, a major equation breakthrough. So the, then she wanted the granddaughter. And she, when she realized the granddaughter was as brilliant, if not more than the mother, she wanted the granddaughter to go on that same trajectory and see if she could um, figure out this equation. And many, so, because she wanted the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in many ways, she's like an overbearing stage mom. Oh, she was in awful. In a lot of ways. You know? <laughs> yeah, she was awful. But the uh, the the movie is really quite entertaining. It's um it's got laughs, it's got tears, it's got you know the whole range of emotions. And uh, the the actress who plays the young girl, McKenna Grace, is just terrific. I mean, I was blown away by how good a performance. That oh, she, gave. she was amazing, and and really, she was like a mass savant. But in other ways, she was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, a it, and it's, a hard, <laughs> it's a hard spot to be to be put in where you're trying to, you know, grow up and develop social skills and, and be kind of normal and at the same time have this, you know, tremendous talent that everybody's trying to tap into and steal and say, hey, you know, we can we can exploit you for our own purposes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But also the uh, the uh, Lindsay Duncan, who plays the, the grandmother, is also terrific. Oh, she um, was. I mean, she's really kind of like the... Uh, you know, the second coming of the Wicked Witch of the West in a lot of ways. So <laughs> She really was, yeah. And, of course, my favorite, my one of my favorite actresses, um, oh, whoa, her best friend. Who was it? Oh, Octavia Spencer. Yeah, Octavia Spencer. Yeah, she's I love terrific, her. too. Not a big role, but she was good in it. Yeah. And then my, uh, my third film today is a really odd one. It's called Colossal. And uh, <laughs> this is a movie that stars uh, Anne Hathaway, as a um, an unemployed writer living in New York, who has sort of given up on trying to even look for work because she's been out of work for so long, spends most of her time going out and drinking and partying and um, just kind of being irresponsible. And her boyfriend reaches the point where he's tired of it, so he basically says, "Okay, I'm kicking you out." So with no money and no place to go, she ends up returning to the sleepy hometown where she grew up to try and get her life together. And while she's there, she ends up running into an old grade school friend who uh, owns a bar, offers her a job as a waitress, which she likes because now she's getting some money and she's also got a ready source of alcohol, so it suits all of her needs. But she's also still kind of, you know, foundering, trying to figure out exactly what what she's going to do with her life. Well, then one day she's watching um, cable television and sees some footage uh, of an incident that's taking place in uh, Seoul, South Korea, where there's this giant Japanese sea monster type character that's terrorizing the city. And she's just shocked and seeing the footage and all the devastation that's going on until she realizes that when she watches it closely, the monster's actions and gestures mimic her own move for move. 
Wow, eh? Like, that's crazy. She's, she's like Godzilla. Even more appalled when she realizes, <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm the monster. Oh, so, wow. That's crazy. So now, then, she has, then she has to figure out, why did this happen? Why did, why did this part of me start coming out? And that gets into a whole ball of wax in terms of her you know, trying to sort out her life. It gets into issues dealing with uh, victimhood and bullying. It gets into uh, issues of responsible behavior. It gets into issues of uh, uh, wrestling with addiction. So, you know, on the surface, this, uh, this movie looks like it's kind of a kind of a fun, campy romp that's a parody of like these cheesy, cheap Japanese sea monster movies. But it's really much, much, much more than that. Uh, very thoughtfully written, very deep in terms of some of the uh, social and even the metaphysical questions it gets into. Uh, Anne Hathaway is just wonderful in the role. Um, this is a really now she wasn't the first pick though, was she? I mean, it's an odd role for her. Uh, no, I think she was one of the first picks because I think she had a role in helping to produce it. Oh, did she? Because I thought that somebody yeah. that that she was kind of like a last resort uh, I, or something. As I understand it, she was um, she was pregnant at the time the movie was being filmed. Ah, uh, so okay. I think there was a question maybe of her being able to carry out the role, but um, it doesn't. It didn't seem to affect you know, her performance in any way. Right. Which was interesting because there were some aspects of the role that were actually rather physically demanding. So for her to have been able to pull this off while in that state was really, you know, pretty amazing. So, um, but really it's a, it, it gets into a whole variety of topics. It's much, much more um, uh, insightful and thoughtful than you might think. And when you see the poster, you hear, you know, see the trailer for it. Uh, I really, I recommend it highly. So her boyfriend was Jason Sudeikis. Um, no, her boyfriend was, um, oh, what was his name? It was, uh, uh, drawing a blank here. No, that's okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. I thought, I thought, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it. Like I said, um, Brent lives in Chicago. He gets to see all the fantastic movies, even though we live in Toronto. Um, it, I, I, I'm not living right in the city, so um, I have to wait for it to come to an art house close it by. Was, uh, <laughs> uh, her boyfriend was played by Dan Stevens. Who oh, was, Dan uh, Stevens. A, a member of the cast the beast. of Downton Abbey. Yeah, and he was yeah. the beast in Beauty and the Beast. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, I love Downton Abbey, my favorite show on earth. Uh, no, Jason Sudeikis plays her, her old uh, grade school friend. Oh, uh, yeah, that's what I meant. The grade yeah. school friend. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's cool. Very cool. So, so you guys, so what do you think? Does it fun. sound like movies you want to go see? I'm actually looking at them right now on the IMDb as he's talking. <laughs> but, this, <laughs> but this one actually, Colossus looks pretty crazy. So I know. It sounds oh, like yeah, fun. Like, that's, yeah, actually, it is a fun movie. The other two, sure. I mean, if you want the, the drama on the other two, the heartbreak with the, the child and then, of course, World War II. I like World War II movies. Yeah. But if you want something that's I, – I, this looks kind of like a psychedelic-type movie here – and Anne Hathaway always plays these crazy roles, and she's good at it. So she's very good at. It. I, I yeah. wouldn't say that that um, that Gifted was a heartbreak. It wasn't. It was a fun movie. It was a good movie. That's is, the one I it? would have picked, actually. And Colossal, yeah. I think, is probably one of these movies. It's it's sort of on its way. <clears throat> excuse me, to becoming like a cult classic. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll probably show up at midnight shows and things like that at theaters. Like so. Rocky Horror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God, Rocky Horror. <laughs> well, Pulp, Pulp Fiction was another one too. Later on, that became a cult favorite yeah, too. And yeah. yeah, so it most likely Colossals probably will wind up like that, where people ten years from now will be going to those midnight uh, movies and they'll be seeing that and still Rocky Horror Picture Show because I think they'll they'll 
will never stop playing one. Do we know? What also we... strikes me is as though it's the kind of movie that you'll probably like pick up more on subsequent viewings. Yes. You know, you'll you'll see it on a, on a second a second screening and say, "Wow, I didn't notice that the first time." Interesting. Yeah, I guess it's too early to talk about summer blockbusters. Uh, well, it's actually kind of right around the corner. They start yeah. putting out some of the first of the summer blockbusters like around the first week of May. So, oh, okay. Um, yeah, so mm-hmm. you'll be seeing some coming along pretty soon. The one that I'm really looking forward to the most is, is um, the long-awaited sequel to uh, Blade Runner. Uh, oh. This has been, yeah, this has been like 30 yeah. years in the making. <laughs> so, And is it Harrison Ford? Harrison Ford's back in that? He's got Harrison a cameo Ford in it? Ford is in it, yes. Yeah, is I he? believe I believe the lead is being played by uh, Ryan Gosling, but Harrison uh, okay. Ford has got a supporting part in it. So, did you see the trailer on Pirates of the Caribbean, the new one that's coming out? Yes, I saw that not too long ago. Because that's been a quite a gap since the the last one that came out. And and you'd also mentioned uh, World War II movies. One of the big blockbusters of the summer that's coming out is the movie Dunkirk. Yes, uh, played yes. from uh, Christopher Nolan, who made the, the Dark Knight series and Inception and a number of other movies. So that one looks really good, actually, Dunkirk. Um, well, you know what? I have to tell you guys, thank you, Brent, for coming, because we have well. 30 seconds left in our show today. <laughs> it's been fantastic. Um, Sean, Cindy, thank you so much for being my guest today. Brent, as thank always, you, I love the thank movie you. reviews. They're fantastic. And each and every one of you who are listening today and will listen later on um, when the show is no longer live, we thank you for joining us. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Shame on you.